This morning, as we continue our study through 1 Peter, we are looking at just one verse here in chapter 3 of 1 Peter. But also, I'm going to read uh, three verses from Ephesians chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I had two coaches during my high school basketball career. The first three years that I was playing basketball, we had a coach that I would call a taskmaster. He was tough. The preseason conditioning practices were brutal. And then once we got into the season, and during the preseason, we'd also, in preparation for the season, he would give us a playbook that was this thick that we had to study every night and memorize. And then once we got into the season, the practices every night were long and difficult. On the court, when we were playing games, He was tough, a lot of red-faced yelling during games, a lot of us cowering in the locker room during halftime while he pointed out every detail of every error we had made. And he was a disciplinarian, had very strict rules, and was very swift with justice. But then after my junior year in high school, that coach stepped down. I think he burned out. Stepped down from his position, and we got a new coach for my senior year. We had a lot of expectations going into the senior year because we had the most talent that we had had all the four years I played. We knew that my senior year was the season. If we were going to do anything, it was going to be that year because we had mostly a senior team. But our new coach was what we often would call a player's coach. And what we meant by a player's coach is a coach that the players liked because he was so easy on you. Coach, the the, the uh, practices for this coach were light and loose. They were fun. He made sure that they were fun. He had very few rules and almost no discipline. And he was our buddy, both on the court and off the court. We went 1-12 and 12 in our league that year. Big disappointment. We had the worst season of the four under that coach. The Lord is sovereign, and the Lord is always teaching us something, and I took something from those four years of playing basketball that I've never forgotten. As unpleasant as it may be to be under a hard, strict leader, you need good leadership in life. And without good leadership, there's chaos and failure. 
In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter is wrapping up this section where he's been teaching us all about submission. Again, in the beginning of the book, he teaches about the gospel, about the work of Christ and saving us from our sins and all of the benefits that come to those who are called to be a part of the church of Christ. But then, in the middle part of his epistle, Peter begins to talk about what the Christian life should then look like if we are saved by grace. And the key theme to this part of the book is submission. That as believers, as part of the kingdom of God, as heirs of the kingdom, we are to live lives of submission. Submission to the governing authorities, submission to those masters we have in life, whether they be institutional or employment or whatever. And then last week we began to look at submission in the home. We talked about the call that Peter lays before us for wives to submit to their husbands. I want to make two major points today and then spend my time on the second one. First point I want to make this morning is that there is an authority structure in the home, biblically speaking. By God's design, there is an authority structure in the home. Secondly, God's definition of authority is almost opposite to the world's concept of authority. Got to get both of these points. And the fact that the world doesn't get both of these points, matter of fact, they deny the first and totally don't understand the second, is the reason why the idea of a wife submitting to the leadership of a husband is so offensive to this world. They don't get what we're going to talk about this morning. Let me begin with the idea that there is an authority structure in the home. But before I begin to talk about that authority structure, let me make something abundantly clear, and Peter makes it clear in this passage. In addressing husbands, he says to them that their wives, if you notice there about three-quarters of the way through the verse, he says their wives are heirs with you of the grace of life. That's crucial to your understanding of what he calls husbands and wives to do in the home. That husbands and wives are heirs together. The word in the Greek emphasizes they are heirs together of the grace of life, of the work of Christ, of the kingdom of God. They are heirs together. It's reminiscent of what Paul says in Galatians 3, verses 26 through 29. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. When it comes to being heirs of the kingdom, there's no distinction between slave and master, there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, there's no distinction between male and female. You are heirs together of the kingdom. Husbands and wives are completely equal before God. We were all equally dead and lost in our sins before Christ came into our lives. And now that He is in our lives, now that He is Lord, we are all equally saved by grace and heirs of His kingdom, children of God. But in that equality... There is a distinction in the roles that God calls us to play out in this life. 
So he says, in, as we saw last week in chapter 3, verse 1, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And verse 5, he points to the honorable example of the women of the faith of history and says this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. I could take you through a number of passages in the New Testament that teach this, but let me just go, we're going to be spending a little bit of time in Ephesians 5, as I mentioned. Let me just take you there and give you the direct teaching that Paul gives, beginning in verse, I'm going to begin in verse 21 of Ephesians 5, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I purposely read verse 21 before I read verse 22. Because Peter, or I mean Paul, in teaching on submission there, he makes a point that all Christians are to always be submitting to one another. That As we said earlier, that's part of what it means to be in God's family is that now you live a life of submission. What is submission? Submission is yielding to the needs of others. You have your wants and needs, but you're going to submit your wants and needs to others. You're going to put the needs of others first. I think one of the best descriptions of what submission looks like is in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, where Paul says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That following in Christ's footsteps means putting the needs of others first, considering them better than you, giving them best. When the plate of cookies is passed around, you take the smallest one, not the biggest one. That's what submission is about. You want others to prosper, and you find your joy and satisfaction in helping them to prosper. And it's in that context of Christians submitting to one another all the time everywhere that he says, okay, wise, let me talk to you. You have a very special calling to submit. A special calling to submit that is distinct from the calling of the husband. You are to submit to his leadership. As to the Lord, and I keep throwing that phrase on there to make sure that the scriptures make it clear that your submission to your husband is part of your submission to the Lord, and the Lord is over your husband, and so you always submit to his authority. When he calls you to submit to, in a way that is contrary to your Lord's authority, then you must disobey your husband and obey your Lord. There is that hierarchy in all of life. Christ is Lord, ultimately, in every area of life. But there needs to be a distinction of roles. If Christians are just always submitting to one another all over the place, when you think about organizing the work of the church, it ends up with chaos. You know what it's like when you're at a potluck dinner and you get up to the table at the same time that somebody does and there's a plate and somebody needs to grab the plate and go first in line and good Christians will say, no, no, you go first. And the other Christians say, no, 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 you go first. And then the other Christian says, no, no, you go first. And, you know, if you just keep submitting, nobody gets to eat dinner because two people are standing there clogging the path. So obviously there needs to be a decision made. Who's going to go first? That's true in every organization, in every business. What business or organization do you know about that doesn't have some sense of hierarchy to it? 
sometimes very detailed hierarchies. I've often thought about this. If I were to start a business, you know, I get some startup money and I want to start a business and I start interviewing potential employees and let's say I need four employees to start my business and I interview them and, and after all my interviews there are four candidates for jobs for the four positions that are eminently qualified in every possible way. They're all equally qualified. I couldn't, can't even make a distinction among any of them. So when it comes to setting up my business, what am I going to do with those four employees? Am I all going to give them equal authority and equal responsibility? Of course not. You can't run a business that way. You can't run any organization that way. You need to set up some kind of hierarchy. You're going to have to choose one of those four employees to be a supervisor, to be a team leader, to be a, a boss, just so that the work gets done efficiently. And we understand that in the business world. We understand that in the organizational world. But when we come to the kingdom of God, all of a sudden, everybody has to have equal roles and equal responsibility. Why should we expect it to work that way? It doesn't even work that way in the Trinity. Have you ever noticed that? In Scripture, God had a, had a job he wanted to get done. He wanted to save his people. And so what does he do? He sets up a hierarchy. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all totally equal in their essence, in their being, in glory. Equal in every possible way. If you don't believe that, then you're not an Orthodox Christian. But how many times in Scripture do we hear the Son saying, I am here to do the will of my Father? The Son submits to the Father. The Spirit submits to the Son and to the Father. There's a hierarchy among the Trinity, even though they're thoroughly equal in, in their being. And that's how God set up the home. Take two individuals that are thoroughly equal, equally sinners saved by grace, put them in an organizational structure to efficiently do the work of the kingdom. And so he chooses one of these two equals and makes them, him a first among equals for the sake of structure, for the sake of hierarchy. And so the scriptures are clear that the one God has chosen is the husband. Only you could, the only way to get around that is to destroy the authority of scripture. That's what the scriptures teach. He has chosen the husband to be that authority figure in the home. And the wife is to submit to the husband's authority. Why did he choose the husband? Now, I've read theologians and scholars and commentators have tried to come up with reasons. You know, Eve, sin first. You know, you, you can go there. I don't think it's very fruitful to go there. Also, you know, for all I know, God flipped a coin. I, you know, I don't think he does that. But, you know, I don't know why he chose the husband. But he did. And this, you know, and I'm not going to get into I do believe there are distinctions in the way that God has designed men and women. That will come up in a moment. But it's not for us to question which one. The question that really is important, and this is where the world loses us, what does authority look like? When God places authority in the hands of a person, what does that authority look like? And this is what Peter describes here. And you have to really take apart the language and look carefully at what he says. But what he's really describing here in 1 Peter 3, 7 is what authority looks like when a faithful husband leads his home. First thing that jumps out at me as I studied this verse 
is that Peter says that husbands are to show honor to their wife. That's striking because the word honor is that word teme in, in, in Greek, which actually the basis of that meaning is in, in monetary value. In other words, very ex- consider this very precious, very expensive, very costly. Show that kind of honor to your wife. Put her up on a pedestal. Treat her as a being of very high value. That's what Peter is saying. And isn't that really the kingdom way? Doesn't Jesus say over and over and over again, humble yourself and you'll be exalted. And so he says to the wife, submit to your husband's authority and you will be exalted. That's the way to honor. And the husband is the one who is given the responsibility to show that honor to the wife. Well, how do we honor our wives? Well, if you see in your bulletin, I basically have laid out four different elements of biblical authority. And the exercise of biblical authority that this passage gives is what honoring of the wife looks like. It begins by husbands honoring their wives by studying them and God's word. Husbands honor their wives by studying them and God's word. Peter says... Live with your wives in an understanding way. Literally, what that says is, live with your wives according to knowledge. In other words, base your relationship with your wife upon a solid foundation of truth, of knowledge. And so in order to do that, you've got to know God's word. Husbands, you have the responsibility as the God-appointed leader in your home to be a fervent student of God's Word, to know what God's Word teaches about your wife, about her needs, about who she is, who she's becoming, about your children, about what it means to be a father, what it means to be a husband. You are to be a student of God's Word. He has not left us in the dark. He has showed us the way for husbands to lead a blessed family. The picture of Psalm 128. But also, not only do you need to be an expert in God's word insofar as God has enabled you, but you also must know your wife. You need to study her. Live with her according to knowledge. It's your responsibility to know her, know her needs, know her frustrations, know her desires, know her fears, know her hopes in life. One of the things I really enjoy, challenge that I take on, it's one of the fun parts of being a husband to me, is buying my wife presents. I enjoy doing that. And I make it my goal every year when I see that her birthday is coming up to start to study her, to spy on her, to notice when we're walking through the mall or through the store the things she picks up and admires, the things that she sees on television and when she makes those little comments like, boy, I could really use one of those. I love doing that. And then watching her face when she opens her present and there's something that she said she might have wanted three months ago, it's it's something I find joy in. We're to study our wives in order to meet their needs, to deal with their fears, to deal with their frustrations. We're to study them. There was a movie that came out a few years ago called um, Fireproof. 
Most Christians have seen it, I think. I'll, res- I'll, I'll restrain myself from critiquing it from an aesthetic point of view. But if you've seen the movie, it is amazingly, and I kind of hated myself because I actually found myself in tears at the end when they, the, the husband and wife reunite. I hated myself for that because bad art shouldn't do that to you. But anyway... <laughs> The reason it was so moving is because the truth that it portrayed was so powerful. Because really, that movie portrayed what we're talking about here. That love dare, and again, I'm sorry, I don't have time to tell you the whole story. If you haven't seen the movie, go home and see the movie and then listen to the sermon again online. Um, but, you know, basically the, the husband in a bad marriage takes on this challenge of the love dare, which is 40 days of basically studying the wife so that he might know how to really serve her. He had to study her in order to know how to lead her. And that's what's true. And it had a transforming effect on that marriage in that story. And it can have a transforming effect in your marriage too. And so that's preparation. Studying your wife and studying God's word is preparation for the next step in authority, which is to shepherd your home. You honor your wife by shepherding. I use the word supervision in, in the, in the uh, bulletin. But I, after studying for all, I decided that, su- that shepherding is really the word I want because supervision, I don't know, the world doesn't like that, that word either. It's a legitimate word, but trying to get as close as possible to what the Bible's talking about. And supervision in Scripture is shepherding. That's what shepherding is all about. The, any position of authority in God's kingdom is a position of overseeing the welfare of others. When you're put in a position of authority in the kingdom of God, it means you're taking on your shoulders as a responsibility, the well-being of other people. See what I'm saying? This is where you start to lose the world. The world doesn't get this. That's what authority is. It's being accountable before God for the well-being of others that are under your authority. Now, Peter alludes to this, and I have to be really careful here, because he uses the phrase, he says, Husbands, as you honor your wife, and keep that in the background, you're honoring your wife by looking at her as the weaker vessel. The weaker vessel. Now, the word vessel there is the word that the New Testament tends to use for our physical body. And the word weaker means having less strength. So what Peter's doing here is he's not insulting the wife. He's just making an observation. Clearly, it's almost always true, not always, I've seen some pretty burly wives, but almost always true that the husband is physically stronger than the wife. And so Peter's observing that. He's saying, you are physically stronger. And again, in other ways, the wife clearly probably will be stronger, mentally, emotionally, intellectually. Spiritually, but physically, since it's almost always the case that the husband is stronger, he's calling the husband's attention to that fact. And he's saying, you're the physically stronger one, therefore understand that as you take on this responsibility for the well-being of your wife and your children. The husband is to use his physical strength to protect and provide for his family And not to take advantage of that physical strength. Not to take advantage of it. See, that's what the sin nature wants to do with that kind of advantage. When you take on the role of submitting to any authority, you put yourself in a vulnerable position. 
You put yourself in a vulnerable position. You need to be able to trust the person in authority that they won't use that authority or their strength in order to take advantage of you. You know, so as we read the newspapers and we hear the news about the things that Jerry Sandusky was accused of, and I know trial's not over, we don't know final verdict yet, but that kind of thing goes on all the time everywhere. And the hideousness is not in what so much, well, certainly it is in what Jerry Sandusky is accused of doing. That's a hideous sin. But what makes it far worse is that he was in a position of authority. Is that he was responsible for the well-being of those children. And instead of working for their well-being and protection and provision, he took advantage of them in the worst possible way. If he's guilty. And that's what husbands need to understand. That's how God is looking at you and your position of authority. Is that you are given the responsibility of your wife You are to take care of her, to protect her, to provide for her. You are the pastor of your wife. You are the shepherd of your household. And you're accountable to God for how well your wife and your children are doing. You're accountable. And just as I, as a pastor in this flock of believers, seek to evangelize and edify and equip and train and send. That's my job as a pastor. That's your job as a husband and a father. To shepherd your flock. That's why in going back to Ephesians 5, when it picks up what husbands are to do, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. But then it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with words, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Husband, before God, your responsibility, that, is, that heavy responsibility that's been placed on your shoulders is to beautify your wife, to do all you can to make her beautiful in the eyes of God. You are the shepherd. The third responsibility of authority is that you, in order to honor your wives, must serve them. That's inherent. If you're shepherding, then you must be a servant. And that's the key element of biblical headship. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus was teaching his disciples what leadership was all about. And this is what he said to them. It says, this is what happened. Here's the historical context. A dispute arose among the disciples as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is not the one who is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That's what leadership is about. It's about service. The first shall be last. The greater shall be lesser. Jesus, before he died, he gave one more leadership training class in that upper room. When he, thinking about the authority that was about to be placed on his shoulders as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, reigning at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, 
got up from the table with his disciples, wrapped a towel around his waist, took a bowl of water, and began to wash their feet. And he said to them, this is what a leader does. This is what authority is about in the kingdom of God. Washing the feet of those who are under your authority. Serving. Serving is what authority is about. We had a party a few nights ago for one of our newlyweds, not our most newlyweds, but one of our most newlywed couples, Jonathan and Kelly. And at that party, we were going around the room and sharing around the backyard, sharing advice for this new young couple. And someone, I don't remember who it was, offered this word of advice. Said to husbands, Jonathan received this advice, said, when you get home and you notice that the Dishes haven't been washed yet, and the kids are, one of the kids has a dirty diaper, and your laundry hasn't been done yet. Don't respond by saying, why haven't the kids been fed? Why haven't the dishes been washed? Why hasn't that diaper been changed? Instead, say, what can I do to help you? Great advice. Extremely simple. Awesome advice. And it embodies that principle that if you're an authority, it doesn't mean you get your needs met first. It means you are a servant to meet the needs of those under your authority. That's what it's about. People think that being an authority is all about making decisions. But what they don't understand is, yes, it is sometimes about making decisions, but those decisions are not based on what's best for me as the husband. Those decisions are based on what's best for my wife and my children. That's servant leadership when it comes to making decisions. And I tell you, it's been rare. I've been married almost 30 years. And I could probably count on two hands how many times I've had to make a decision that my wife disagreed with. Just because it's been my goal, because God has taught me over the years, it's been my goal to make decisions based on what's best for her and for the children. That's what biblical authority is all about. Which brings us to the last step of authority. You'll know you've got it when you get to step four. Husbands honor their wives by, first of all, studying them, secondly, shepherding, thirdly, serving them, and then finally, by sacrificing for them. Do you notice how it gets harder as you go? Studying, yeah. Supervision, okay. Service, but sacrifice, And that's, I just want to take a moment to point out, again, going back to Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that not only saved you, but husbands, but that's the gospel that you live by. That you find your joy and satisfaction in laying down your life, laying down your rights, laying down your privileges for the benefit of others. First and foremost, your wife. You know, we often talk about the distinction in the biblical words for love. Agape love means sacrificial love, unconditional love, love that gives without expecting anything in return. The other two kinds of love that we often talk about are phileo, which is brotherly love, companionship kind of love. And then there's eros, which is the sexual, lustful kind of love. Do you know what? We Christians are the only one that can do the agape love. The world can do companionship. I've seen husbands and wives that don't know the Lord that are great friends. 
And I've seen husbands and wives that have great sex lives who don't know the Lord. But I've never truly seen a couple who doesn't know the Lord who really has that kind of gospel-centered, Christ-like, self-sacrificial love at its core. Only the gospel provides that kind of love. Reminds me of when James Dobson gave me some of the best parenting advice I ever received. I was listening to his radio show one day, and he said, you know, fathers, you want to love your children? You want to be a good father to your children? Love your wife, first and foremost. Love your wife the way Christ loved the church. Lay down your life for her. You know what's going to happen then? When your children grow up and they hear the gospel, and the gospel says that God sent his only son into the world He loved the world so much, he sent his only son into the world to die on the cross for our sins, to totally sacrifice his life for his people. They hear that message and say, you know what, I know that kind of love. I've seen that kind of love. My dad loves my mom that way. My dad loves me that way. That's the kind of love I want to live with for eternity. Husbands, honor your wives by studying her, shepherding her, serving her, and sacrificing your love for her. You know, we baby boomers, well, I'm not quite in that category, but I'm not in the early, other generation too. You know, we're just in a, a period of great confusion about what marriage is all about. We're still trying to, they're trying to define marriage. What's it all about? The male chauvinist system didn't work, but neither does the total equality system. The only thing that really works in a marriage is the biblical model has been laid out before us this morning. Yes, there is an authority structure in the home, but it's the kind of authority that Christ provides as an example. The kind that studies and shepherds and serves and sacrifices. And notice I just want to close by pointing out verse 7 because that's an important warning to husbands. He says, Do all this so that your prayers may not be hindered. If you want to be close to God, you need to be a faithful husband. Don't think that you can be an unfaithful husband and still be close to God. And honestly, that's my wife's hope for me to be a good husband is only because the Lord has a hold of me. I have a relationship with him, and that relationship is so important that I am not going to, to give up my relationship with God in order to be unfaithful to her. Jesus said, Do you love me to Peter? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the model of a biblical home that you have laid before us. Lord, not only is it so hard to live it out as sinners, but we're also facing a ton of opposition from the world around us. Lord, help us just to be faithful, to trust you and to be faithful and to establish our homes the way that you have designed them, and then allow that light to shine brightly in the darkness of broken families and broken marriages. Father, give us your word, give us your spirit, give us your truth to enable us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.